Going Linux, episode 361, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry from the snowy New Mexico. Yay. Yeah, uh, yeah, snow. What's that look like again? Um, (laughs) It's white and cold. Yes. Oh, yes, I remember. Yeah, and (laughs) cars don't like to go anywhere when it's two feet deep. (laughs) Just saying. My car does not like snow. Yeah, because it turns into ice. Yeah, it turns to ice, and um, yeah, it's it's been a fun. We've gotten a lot of snow here in New Mexico, but anyway. Yeah, so much for uh, the weather report. Um, I hear <laughs> you have gone a hundred percent Linux on your personal laptop, where you had been dual booting into Windows. Yeah, we won't go into that except saying oh. that I hate, uh, I, I hate that other operating system with passion, and and uh, so. It, Anyway, um, well, yeah. just just a little bit of help for people. Uh, one th- one of the things you told me is that in the Windows side ended up getting malware because you downloaded a uh, what was it? Um, Image what burn. Was the name of that? Image burn for Linux so that you could burn a, a DVD or yeah, a DVD or an, a CD or whatever it was, and so you have to be very 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 careful. Uh, especially yes. since those of us who want to begin to use Linux, first thing some people want to do is they want to burn an ISO uh, onto a DVD or create a USB stick. And image burn for Windows is one way people do that. And just I'm going to put a couple of links into the show notes. Image burn is one of the programs that Ubuntu used to recommend, I've noticed that they've taken it off of their instructions for burning Linux ISOs. Uh, They are exclusively recommending Rufus for Windows, and I'll have a link to both the Rufus application so that you know you're going to the right place to get it, and also to the instructions on the Ubuntu website so that you know how to use it, and you know that you... They also have a link to that same software from their website as well. So either way you get it, you're uh, sure that you're going to get something that doesn't have malware and stuff built into it. Yeah, to, just to give the Cliff Notes version, um, I I usually don't download. I was trying to help a friend out trying to access some um, files, and uh, he wanted to get those files onto uh, a, um, a DVD. And so uh, I had used it a long time ago, and 
because this the the drive is formatted with the uh, a Mac uh, OS, Windows couldn't see it. So I, so uh, Windows 10 is doesn't come with Java. They don't like you to install Java, but you can. So I, I had to install Java to get this program to work. Uh, and so I don't know if it's just kind of a perfect storm or I, it could have, you know, I, I did some research after I blast everything off and reinstalled Ubuntu. Uh, apparently there's a, some, it's a, called candy something and it, it flags as malware. And then, um, I got a pop-up that says a Trojan food dot something, something, something. And I'm like, and then I got another and then installed, um, Chromium for some reason. Um, not Chrome because I have, I have Chrome on my, on my machine. Uh, I installed Chromium and it had pop-up blockers and add, uh, uh, click this for your discount on, the latest and greatest shoes or whatever. So it just kept popping up in my, uh, my, uh, windows defender kept popping up saying, you have, you've been in fit. You got this. We got this security. Thing. We got this one. I was like, after a while I said, Oh, I don't know how bad this is. And since I use it for, uh, work and, uh, stuff like that. Plus, uh, I, uh, mainly I'll use windows for is to game, but, Mm-hmm. But uh, it wouldn't read this drive until I did all this, and then it kind of. So it's my fault, and I finally said I can't deal with this. It, and also, I, I kept having. Uh, I've I've touched on this. So I'm not bashing Windows 10 for this. I'm just saying it's a fact. Of life is that I keep getting all this garbage, Candy Crush and crap on my machine. I'm like, I don't want this. I I had to use Office 365 for work a couple months ago so yeah. in my notification center every time i'd log in to go play my game or games it would pop up and say you can save 16 percent if you go to a yearly plan resubscribe now and i'm like uh no mm-hmm. but it kept i mean every time i log in it popped up and it pop up two or three times a day so it just on and on and on and uh so yeah uh not real happy with it and then of course i had a, my a buddy of mine uh, from work who just uh, his brand new Dell, I guess at the very last of November or first of December, he had bought the Pro and uh, version of Windows 10, and apparently the activation servers downgraded his uh, to Windows 10 Home and then uh, deactivated his license. So now he's I don't know if he's gotten the fix yet, but uh, when he called Microsoft tech support, they said, uh, "Yeah, you just need to wait for the fix." <laughs> Okay. Well, that's convenient. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much for all that help. So, yeah. So, it's been fun. Yeah. Experiences with Windows. There you go. Yes. Uh, I, I don't have any Windows on mine. I'm about as windowless as you can get. Okay. So, defenestrated, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. You, all right. The so, let's, today. <laughs> let's get into our audio uh, feedback. So, the first one is uh, feedback from Primitive One. Let's go listen to Primitive One's voicemail. Greetings. This is Primitive One in Miami, Florida. And I call you as a recent listener, although I've worked my way back about a year to 
episode 339. And uh, my concern is I want to go Linux with my home gaming desktop. You can imagine where I might be going with this. Uh, in the episodes I've listened to many times, people have discussed issues with their graphics card uh, and making their graphics card work properly once they switch over to Linux. So my specific question is, um, I use three monitors. I like to multitask when I play my games. And I don't want to lose that experience when I switch from Windows 10 to Linux with the desktop. What specifically should I look for or ask the internet, um, a search engine or a forum uh, in this regards? I know you guys have mentioned uh, that people do find workarounds and you might call them, I guess, hacks on how to try to tweak uh, the graphics card, even though the compatibility might not be there. But uh, I, you know, I really want to give a good effort in my thoughts before I make this decision because, you know, I mean, this computer is specifically just for gaming, uh, so it might just be an issue of, you know, dedicating it to that and not doing other things with the device. That's a pretty long message, so thanks for your time. Um, enjoying the show very So much. he wants to upgrade from Windows 10 to Linux. Uh, he's gaming on his laptop. He has questions on the graphics card. Um, and he'd like to know how and where the best way to search the internet for help with the graphics card. So you're the gamer, Bill, or you have <laughs> been. Uh, yeah. Tell me about it. What, what What's he do? What's his best route here? Okay, so once uh, upgraded from Windows 10 to Linux, I recommend um, for and you really didn't give a lot about his machine either, so I'm going to just no, uh, spit, sp I'm going to give him a uh, spitball this one. Uh, go with uh, Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Linux Mint. They, they seem to be the easiest to get games running. That's just my opinion, but from experience they seem to work the best uh use an nvidia card um they seem to have the least trouble getting things to run in my experience and also depending on what distribution you go you're going to use you go to their forums like so if you if you want if you're having problems in Ubuntu, you go to Ubuntu forums. If Ubuntu Mate, you could go to their their forums, etc. One of the things that you always uh, need to remember uh, to remember is uh, going to the forums first. You know, before you make any radical changes. You know, they usually have a list somewhere buried in their welcome of supported hardware. Sometimes it's up to date. Sometimes it's not so much. But I haven't run across any uh, Nvidia. Uh, drivers uh, issues as far for me anyway. I, I my Alienware uses uh, the uh, Nvidia and so when I install I install the the Nvidia driver and it works perfectly. It's not as optimized as the uh, the Windows ones are, uh, but with some workarounds like uh, Guild Wars etc. Uh, as a game it works well. And he also didn't say what games and uh, 
that's going to probably be the biggest indicator um, for him. Uh, you know, what kind of games is he trying to run? Is he trying to run some of the latest and greatest? Uh, it might take some work, or you might not be able to get him run. Uh, and uh, he's running three monitors. So as long as you, you know, is, is he running? I wonder if he's running it on uh, separate video cards, or is he just mirroring, mirroring them? Yeah, he says he's running on a laptop, so I wouldn't think that he would be running on a separate video card. But you never know. He he could have a separate video card. And he may not be able to change that video card in his laptop, depending on who makes it. And Yeah, some of the Macs, uh, some of the Macs, and, and I've, I've heard of a few that they would have like, um, like an Intel, uh, my machine has an, an Intel base for just, uh, for just non graphic uses and then it has mm-hmm. nvidia for the you know for the gaming and stuff but there's some of those uh machines that uh they need a special driver or, or a special um yeah a special driver from the vendor to make it uh to make that to, to, to change uh, seamless i uh, like yep. the, i think the max have the that quattro card or something that they have to have a special driver for so depending on what kind of machine he has and stuff i would still say stay with nvidia uh go to the forums and uh just kind of be uh, and maybe if he wants he could send some more information about the kind of games maybe we can help him find the right software um to help him that's all i right. got right and i think just Generally, if you're looking online for help with Linux, whether it's for graphics cards or anything else, start with the forums for the distribution that you're using. That's recommendation number one. And then recommendation number two, look for online publications. Um, There are plenty of them out there that focus in on Linux. Uh, Ubuntu has some publications. There's uh, Full Circle Magazine and things like that. And then there's um, Linux Magazine Online and various others that are online magazines, essentially. And then there are blogs um, like, uh, what's the Ubuntu one? There's a great site, uh, if you use Ubuntu, it's called Ask Ubuntu. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ask Ubuntu and, and places like that. So those are the first three places. Don't do just a Google search for what your graphic card is uh, and help with Linux or something like that because you're going to get a lot of opinions on a lot of websites that don't necessarily relate to your specific Linux distribution. So if you can focus in on your distribution, or if you do a a blind Google search like that, uh, search for your graphics card name, the name of your Linux distribution, and uh, setup or drivers or words like that. And that can help you. But you're the first recommendation is start with the forums because that's where you're going to get the most um, valid information from users who have gone through what you're trying to do. And also, if you haven't decided on a Linux version, going to the different forums, like if you want to go to Ubuntu Mate and then uh, Arch Linux or Fedora or something like that, like that you could or, or uh, what's the uh, – Manjaro, that's it. Um, go to the forums and kind of, and kind of look around, and see if people are having success or problems, because you might find a Linux distribution that work that seems to work better. So that might kind of steer you to your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that's just because uh, Manjiro is based on Arch. You know, probably do a little research and then go from there. Right, right. And this is kind of an example of one of those hurdles that, unfortunately, new users to Linux have uh, is that you're trying to make a switch from a previous operating system to Linux and you're trying to make it on a machine that wasn't, you know, that was designed for Windows. It wasn't designed for Linux and you end up with hardware sometimes that is not compatible or takes a few extra hoops to jump through to get it to work on Linux. And for new users, that's difficult. It's kind of akin to saying, you know, I've been a Mac user all my life. I am going to switch to this PC because I don't like Mac hardware for some reason. And I want to figure out how to install uh, Mac OS Mojave on this Dell computer. Um, <laughs> you're you're, you're going to have a few problems trying to do that. And a similar, similar sort of thing here. Um, so, hey, uh, all I can say is, there are plenty of people doing this, and the more popular the computer hardware you have is, the more likely there is a solution out there, and the forums are the best place to look for. And when you need to replace that laptop with something that's compatible with, compatible with Linux, just take a look at that time before you buy the hardware uh, to make sure that it is hardware either designed for Linux, pre-installed with Linux, or has... Uh, you know, uh, components that are compatible with Linux. And by that time, uh, you're probably going to know a little bit more about Linux and how to use it and some of the other things, and it'll be a lot easier to make that decision based on information you have having used Linux for a while. So anyway, we've spent a long time on Primitive One's simple question. <laughs> well, it's not it's not a simple question. These are really important questions because, you know, you don't want yes. to go through a, a bunch of hoops, get it installed, and then find out that, you know, um, they can't get it to work or something. So yeah, you just can't things. get there from here. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we, like to, we like to sometimes give it a little too much information. We're not trying to talk down to you. We're just saying that this is, be you know, the best way is to do some research, just make sure, you know, and then get, get all your stuff together. You know, you don't change out an engine in a car uh, without – you know, making sure that you have the manual and have all the pieces to do it. So that's kind of the same, you know. You don't? A knot. A, no. Maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. Okay. You need anyway. that wrench, Larry. <laughs> right. All <So>. right. <laughs> okay. All right. Our first email is from Angelo, who forwarded an email entitled, FYI, Vinix support. Please have a closer look at this project. Hello all, since I learned about this group a lot in the past, I know there are a lot of talented people on this list. I wanted to bring to your attention the following project, which was previously mentioned in this list. Uh, and it is slint, S-L-I-N-T, and it is at slint.fr. We'll have a link in the show notes. It says, I've been playing with slint for a while, or slint, I guess you could pronounce it, for a while and found this very blind-friendly project. The most important is that the gentleman behind Slint is very much interested in accessibility of this project and very responsive to any suggestions or requests and so on. If you could spare a bit of your time on Slint and share your ideas and suggestions with Didier, I guess that's the uh, 
project owner, his project could become even better. At all the best to all of you in the new year, and thank you for letting me be part of this group. Okay, so, interesting, um, another program for the blind, and we'll take a look at that and see what it's all about. Yeah, Uh, so, thanks for that email, and uh, there's so many Linux projects, it's so little type. Says originally Slackware Internationalization Project. Slint is now a Linux distribution derived from Slackware and from Salix. Polyglot, versatile, beginning friendly, beginner friendly, and accessible for the visually impaired. Hmm. hmm. So it's multiple languages. Uh, accessible to visually impaired, wide assortment of software for servers, desktops, and laptops. Um, interesting. Uses KDE, LXDE, MATE, XFCE, and lightweight window managers. Um, yeah, looks very interesting. Another Linux distribution for the blind. Great. All right, thanks. Our next email comes from James, and he has a possible mate tweak solution with Orca, uh, and that was mentioned on show 356. He writes, Hello, Larry and Bill. Happy New Year to you both. My name is James. I am a longtime listener and have recently created a dual boot system using Ubuntu Mate as my distribution of choice. It seems like the most user-friendly for a novice. I am also a blind Linux user. I came across a possible solution to Daniel's mate tweak issue from show 356. I am quite comfortable in the terminal from my Mac OS days, but perhaps there is a way to get at the file via the GUI. I'm not sure. However, the following change to the mate tweak UI file should give Orca Screen Reader focus to all of the mate tweak options. The file can be found at and its user dash lib dash mate uh, tweak. Da- oh, wow, uh, it's in the show notes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it says, uh, being a text file, it can be opened easily with uh, Pluma by running the following command in a terminal. I found that I had to prefix a command with a sudo, which provides Elevated privileges requiring a user's password, for example, and he lists the uh, command, and that's also in the show notes. Uh, so uh, he says two lines below. It says object class equals GTK icon view ID equals sign uh, side view replace false with true. So he's telling you what you need to do. Uh, tells you how what to find, look for what the command is, and then what to change. And then he says, save the file and quit Pluma. Try running the mate tweak tool again. Also, the Orca mailing list is a useful resource for the blind Linux users and developers. To, so to subscribe, please visit, uh, and I'll read this one out because it's not too bad, https mail.gnome.org slash mailman dash list info slash orca list or you can just go to the show notes again. I hope this helps. Best wishes and I look forward to hearing more from Going Links in 2019. So uh, if you're having problems with your uh, with your screen reader or the Orca, uh, 
come to the show notes and follow these links, and I think this might might help you out. Yep, absolutely. And our next email is from David in Israel, who wrote with a question about mint upgrades. Okay. I would appreciate a response to satisfy my curiosity. It's about the upgrade from Linux Mint 18.3 to 19.0. With the recent release of 19.1, I decided to upgrade from 18.3 to 19.0 and then to 19.1. I had not gone to 19.0 originally, taking the advice that if there is no need, don't do it and the fact that the process has some dangers. However, I like being on the leading edge, although not on the bleeding edge, so with 19.1 release, I decided to do it. In general, everything was easy and straightforward following the process documented in the Linux Mint community on how to upgrade. However, I too had the problem mentioned on that page by Jan Coffee near the top of the comments. I got repeating error message, and he provides the error message in detail, but essentially it says that there was an error processing the gconf2 configuration file, and then it leaves those triggers unprocessed, and then it has a dependency problem, uh, and then... It says gconf2 depends on dbus-x11, and then x11 is not configured yet, and round and round and round. He then says, I followed Jan Coffey's advice. My solution was to run the commands sudo dpkg space dash dash configure space dash a. So dpackage configure dash a. And then sudo apt dash get space install space dash f so dpackage configure dash a and then apt-get install dash f and then rerun the mint grade the mint upgrade upgrade and it worked like a charm to upgrade to linux mint 19 i'd be curious if you could explain to me why i have had the problem and how those commands solved it okay why you had the problem I don't know. <laughs> That's something for the <laughs> Linux Mint developers to understand. But it sounds to me like the upgrade process, this is one of those troubles that you can get into with upgrades that unless you really need to upgrade, eh, recommendation, especially from the Linux Mint folks, is don't do it unless you really need to. However, the the alternative, of course, to upgrading is to fresh install and then you won't have these problems. But it's a little more work if it goes smoothly. If it doesn't go smoothly, now this is a little more work. The upgrade is a little more work. So, um, yeah, so somewhere along the lines, the upgrade process is not uh, processing gconf2 correctly or configuring it correctly or something. So the, the, sec the answer to the second part of your question, why did these things fix it? Uh, well, the first command, the dpackage command, uh, is kind of to to reset the configuration to what it needs to be to do the upgrade. Uh, and then the second is to force, that's the dash F, force the installation, even though 
uh, you're getting this error message. And using those two commands in sequence allows you to essentially push that gconf2 package over the over the uh, threshold and get it to install, even though it's not wanting to do it. And even though you're forcing the install with that install-f command, it uh, somehow figures out how to make it work, and it works. So there's my non-technical technical explanation of how it works. <laughs> You're essentially forcing the installation, uh, and then it just goes ahead and, and does it, and um, it just forces it to bypass a zero message and install it anyway. So there you go. I like the idea. Just It just forces the penguins to make it work. <laughs> there. Yeah, there you go. Right. So it's it's like anything else. If it doesn't fit, yeah. just use a hammer and force it. Yeah, That's kind of what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. So Get David, work, uh, I I know I know we didn't really give you an explanation there, but it was fun trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. Or you could just do a fresh install and not have to do it. No. Uh, yes. Exactly. For, yeah. You know, which, I think which took longest... you longer, fresh install or the upgrade? <laughs> right. I think uh, for a long time, up until recently, uh, Mint. Uh, recommended to do a just a fresh install they still uh, do as far as i understand oh, do they? Yeah. okay yeah so all right so moving right along we have george from tulsa who wrote about the mike tech show podcast number 678 and he said i added this to my feeds on your recommendation 678 is a major endorsement of linux but mike's too locked into windows services to see if you know him he needs invoice ninja and then he also includes a, a YouTube link, which is in the show notes. So, yeah, apparently yeah. Uh, Invoice and Ninjas for invoices, I guess. Yeah, it's for doing invoices using Linux. So it's a Linux program for doing invoices. And and Mike, you know, he's he's got a computer repair business uh, and okay. he's got a lot of uh, contract customers and individual home customers as well. And he does all his work on Windows and Mac. Uh, and you know, yeah. George, new subscriber to Mike's podcast on our recommendation, has uh, f <laughs> uncovered the fact that Mike could easily switch to Linux, but he's you know very steeped in the Windows environment, and he's got a lot of Windows tools for helping repair uh, Windows servers. You know, he's got business applications and as well as home users, so he's got a little more than the average home user has uh to to deal with but yeah he could easily run his business on linux and i don't know mike personally but i've had conversations with him uh by email and various others so i'll forward that on george and uh, let him know that if he ever decides to move to linux uh, we're here to help him out and invoice ninja may be one of those programs that helps him there you go I thought it was like, uh, he needed to send an invoice to Ninja. <laughs> mm, no. <laughs> well, I suppose if you if you knew a Ninja and you had to invoice him for something, you could use that program to send the invoice to Ninja. Anyway, uh, anyway. <laughs> let's move on. Rick right. wrote with a solution about mounting shares over OpenVPN. Hi, thank you for reading out my VPN problem on listener feedback. I now have the solution, and I thought some listeners would like to know what the solution is. Well, thanks for writing back, Rick, and letting us know. 
So continuing on, he says, as you know, I was trying to get a file sync application to write my folders on the other side of a VPN on my friend's server. My friend is just a home user and the same as me, we are not business IT trained and we have never had to work in IT. We both have a Synology NAS, which is network attached storage, right? And we both have switched to the OpenVPN package and both have got our packages to create the necessary certificate. Now, I've gone Linux and found that Windows can read and write my folders over the VPN, but I found that Linux couldn't because I couldn't mount my folders on the other side of the VPN and Nautilus could read and write successfully, but Linux apps couldn't use the mount points for writing setup by Nautilus. Very soon after the WannaCry outbreak, my friend and I decided to set our Synology NAS to use Samba at the lowest version of 2 to prevent a possible outbreak on our servers. While I can successfully mount my own NAS without specifying the Samba version to use, it turns out that I have to specify the version when setting up a mount point on the other side of the VPN. It would have been obvious that I needed to use the version option had the help option listed VER in its full list of options available in the mount command. I've searched Linux books and searched the internet for mount options and not one includes the VER option as something that can be specified. I eventually found the command in a blog somewhere. My guess is that after the WannaCry outbreak, someone upgraded the mount command to use version 2 of Samba, but didn't update the help options and didn't inform the main internet resources for people to know that Mount can now use version 2. I've tried to set the option to use Samba version 3, but I get an error, so it looks like version 2 is the highest one for the moment. I hope you found this interesting and may be of use. Best wishes, Rick. Okay, so a hidden option on (laughs) Yeah. on uh, the VPN. So that's good. Thanks for letting us know about that, Rick. I'm sure those of our listeners who are struggling with that same problem with OpenVPN will find that very interesting and helpful. I think we need to give Rick some kudos there. That's a lot of detective work. Yes. Yeah, wow. Well, th- thanks for all that work. Good job, yeah. Rick. So our next email comes from Angelo, who wrote about learning Python. Hi, Larry and Bill. Michael can contact the Rural National Institute for the Blind, RNIB. They can provide him with some materials. You can pass along my email address, and I can share some of my materials with him. There are also some accessible materials on Kindle, and Audible also has some books. 73N2DYN, Angelo. Thanks, Angelo. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Michael should be able to... uh... Uh, I'm sure he's already connected with the RNIB and can ask them about that information. So that's great. Highlander sent an email to us and to the Mintcast entitled Seize Control. Dear Larry and Bill, the short story. After a major upgrade from Windows 10 version 1803 to Windows 10 version 1809, I discovered a problem with my hard drive. It took me a long time to figure out that Windows Upgrade was causing the problem. Oh, really? Windows Upgrade (laughs) causing problems? Never heard of that before. I'm not even going to comment on that one. Yeah, (laughs) 
<laughs> it took me a little while longer to figure out how Linux would solve this problem. The long story. I have a common NTFS partition on my second hard drive that I use to store files and move files. This is how I access and write files by both Windows and Linux operating system. The point is, regardless of which system created the file, both systems can access it and modify it. And I don't need internet access to share files between systems. This morning, my Windows 10 version 18.03 upgraded sounds like on its own, to version 18.09. Yeah. I found out later that Windows tried to claim ownership over all my files and folders. My common NTFS partition was changed to read-only by Windows 10 version 18.09, so my Linux distros could not write files to the common NTFS partition. I accessed Gparted from within Fedora 28 and created another NTFS partition. Fedora had write access to the new partition, so I did some write testing on both the new and the old NTFS partitions. All my Linux distros then had write access because Gparted requires you to log in as root. Gparted forced and seized control of the common NTFS partition. My computer now operates the way I intended it to. I am not happy with what that Windblows operating system tried to do. And that was to try to claim ownership of and control over my file folders and files. Regards, Highlander GTA. All right. Um, yeah, we've heard a few stories like that. And thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah. You um, did the right things. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Good Good job on that. I, I think that would have kind of stumped me for a little while. So, yeah. Um, yeah, if he had Windows... 10 home get upgraded um, pretty much because you're the guinea pig for uh, Windows 10. So, yeah. Moving right along, Ken wrote about episode 358, Bill and Larry. I just listened to podcast 358 and was appalled at the feedback from Don complaining about your evaluation of Windows versus Linux. I really appreciate the quality of your show and website. You have been a great support to me and my going Linux for many years. I'm certainly no expert and, ju and just one of the folks using Linux, Mint in my case, to get things done. I am just plain fed up with Windows, much for the same reasons that Bill stated in his answers to Don. My biggest complaint is the lack of reliability, security, and privacy invasion, plus the onerous updates. My list could go on and on, my Linux machines just purr along without much attention using the LTS versions. Don's response reminds me of some earlier experiences with online email lists, forums, etc. It's usually the least experienced who are making such unintelligent and often nasty comments. In many cases, I just turned the list off when the folks would go off on one of their tirades. I am glad to see that most comments to the Going Linux podcasts and the Google uh, community have been civil. I have noticed that, that well-managed forums that prohibit that type of nastiness have done well and have been more useful to all. It seems that some folks will get on the internet and say things that they wouldn't dare say to your face. They seem to think that it's their duty to approach their responses with unpleasant commentary. So sad. The internet has done much for us, but, but some of the social aspects are, dis are disappointing me. Keep up the good work. No, great work. 
I appreciate your efforts. Give you all a A++++ Ken KB4XT. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got five pluses, Larry. Yeah, that's that's cool. Thanks, Ken. And uh, yeah, you know, every once in a while, Bill, we're accused of being a little snide in our remarks about Windows or accused of Windows bashing. But really, it's a result of emails like this from Ken and emails like the ones that we've read on this podcast as well, that it's really from our listeners that we're hearing that Windows has the problems. Uh, I certainly don't use Windows anymore. And um, <laughs> yeah, it appears that you don't either. Uh, so. <laughs> only, for, only for work. And I just want to yeah. point out, Larry, it's my, my amateur radio brothers has got my back. I just want to point that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks for that. And uh, uh, <laughs> thanks, for those Ken. of you who don't know those those letters and numbers that some people put at the end of their their email, those are ham radio call signs. So we've got a yes. lot of uh, blind users of Linux who write into the podcast, and a lot of ham radio operators who uh, write into the podcast as well. And we thank both of them and the rest of our listeners as well for everything. Yes. Okay, thanks, so Ken. let's move on to yeah, thanks, Ken. Let's move on to Ian's suggestion for a Google Plus alternative. Larry, Bill, I've been a listener and Linux enthusiast for quite some time. Keep up the good work. There was a piece on an alternative to Google Plus on the last listener feedback show, and a hosted discourse forum was mentioned. I wanted to share my discovery of the Mastodon platform. We've had that recommended before an open-source federated social media network that promotes consideration of utter, others, not others, others. Since it doesn't reside on a centrally controlled server, you can sign up to existing instances based on interest. For example, linuxrocks.online or fostodon.org. And if you know their Mastodon addresses, follow people from other instances across the federation. Instances are hosted by individuals and moderated by their community. You can host your own instance and control your experience explicitly, yet still participate in the wider community. You know, that's interesting. I didn't know that Mastodon would allow that. So that's that's good. He provides a link to a video that explains that. And he says, having a presence on Mastodon is simple to achieve. Just go to joinmastodon.org. But hosting your own instance allows you to theme and moderate the experience for the community. Users come first on the platform. Respect and considerate discussion follows. Unlike the dreaded Hellbird or Bird site, Mastodon also gives you an array of content tools to allow you to tell your feed, your follows, your privacy. It seems like a good fit for potential Linux users with their appreciation of open source software better security, and a true level of control not governed by a large commercial organization. People coming away from Google Plus or Tumblr recently should find a welcome home somewhere on a Macedon instance. I'd also like to throw a recommendation out to a distro I've been very impressed with in MX Linux 17. It's very fast, lightweight, with the XFCE desktop, but delivers a smooth, user experience with none of the functionality hidden away if you want to dig deeper into it. Thanks again for all your effort with Going Linux and keep up the good work. Thanks for the suggestions. 
Yeah, actually, I didn't know my son could do that. I'll check into that. So, we got an email from Joshua who wrote about episode 358. Hey, Larry and Bill. I haven't wrote in since 2010, but have listened to all episodes of Going Linux except for a few of the later Computer America episodes. And for those of you who uh, are new, Larry used to do uh, a show on Computer America, and I guess they kind of changed format. Larry, is that what they did? Uh, no, they didn't change format. They still do a Linux segment as part of their show. I just uh, bowed out as the host, and they went oh, back to okay. the host they had prior to me, and they still have it. So ongoing. And every once in a while, they per- play some older episodes, like over the holidays and stuff. They play best of episodes, and every once in a while, you'll hear me back on there um, because I guess they liked liked my segments. I haven't done anything for them for a while, but uh, still some great content in there. Yeah. And he continues, I just listened to episode uh, 358 and had to write in after hearing you read the feedback from Don. As I listened to his feedback, I got very upset. You read the feedback with great grace and restraint, but I think I could hear the hurt in your voice. I don't know that I could have done the same. I just had to write in and let you know that the two of you cover your subjects very well. You speak with accuracy on what which you know and admit with humility the things that you don't know. There is no pretension in your podcast. As for the way you talk about other operating systems, you are always truthful and do not denigrate them. Everything that Don said about you and Bill was completely wrong. I would ask others to write in and support and show support for Larry and Bill. I can't be the only one who feels this way. I will also post this to the Google Plus group. Thank you. I appreciate that, Joshua. Yeah, and there's no need to no, you know, no need. for everybody to to write in and support. I mean, thank you, but uh yeah, that, that hey, it comes with the territory, right? <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, some of the earlier ones we've had some we've had somewhere we had to put on the asbestos underwear. So yeah, so this was yep. a relatively mild one, but yes, yeah, so we 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 try to we try to be fair and balanced. But uh, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. So <laughs> moving yep. right along, absolutely. So Rainey suggests a Google Plus alternative. Hi, Larry and Bill. In your ever expanding search for a new social network, I suggest you give mewe.com a try. The guys from Mintcast already found a new home there, and it's a pretty simple interface. Since I never really dabbled around in Google+, I can't really say how or if it is different. Good luck, Rainy. Well, maybe I'll uh, take a look at the mewe.com site from the Mintcast site and uh, see how it looks, and we can take a look at it. Every time you say Miwi, it makes me smile. I'm just saying, you know, that's just yeah. a great name. So George from Tulsa wrote, Winders? Quite an email. A former neighbor I don't see often woke up in the wee hours and thought he heard his computer running. He thought he had set it to stay on Windows 7, and it was and it was running a 2 a.m. update. When I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> when he awoke, it was wanting Windows 10, and his yep. data files were gone. Ooh, okay. Continuing, he's not a sophisticated user, Chromebook material, and had no backups. Frantic, he tried oh. to get his data back, 
That's that's cold, but okay. Which was just the wrong thing to do. Wronger, he took it to the geek store that was supposed to do a data recovery. They apparently had read uh, Microsoft's notice. It would be helping people get their Windows 10 update erased data back. And after days of stalling, eventually said they couldn't recover his uh, data. But in the meantime, he'd paid $200, signed up for a security protection program, and give them the ability, from what I can gather, at any time to sign into his, assist, his system remotely to fix it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, All for a low, low fee of $200. uh, And your, okay, privacy. Never mind. Uh, When he went to pick up his laptop, they said, we did manage to recover your data. That was after Microsoft was supposed to provide help. Turned out to be a lie or misunderstanding of what was lost because it was still gone. Sigh. I could not persuade him to go look at a Chromebook or to let me, I really hate to get in the trenches with Windows, at least nuke and pave his laptop and try to put Windows 7 back to protect him from the idiots he paid $200 and gave the keys to his kingdom. The next podcast in my queue after yours was late night Linux number 52. It kicks off with a very geeky feeling whitely struggling with the Microsoft runaround as... His Windows 10 VM is no longer authenticating. Been there myself, and it was definitely no fun. I finally succeeded in getting authenticated and chose not to let the MSFT, or Microsoft Tech, I did call them that, but access my computer. Phelan was not so lucky. Linux for business. I struggled with printing checks. No we don't do that as much as, as in the past, but once a year we mail out a large number of them. The easiest, and it wasn't easy, way I found to do it was to set up a Libra Office mail merge until I installed the free and still available Quicken 2004 for Windows download in Wine. And he lists a, a link to uh, that article. I've tried all the Linux financial applications, K My Money. GNU Cash, Scrooge, even the paid money dance, and none measured up to Quicken 2004 running in wine. And I'm not talking about my pitiful personal finances, but tracking the complex finances of large entities. There are a couple of proprietary PDF tools for Linux that claim to be replacements for Acrobat Pro. I have not tried them. One is they're Russian. And putting proprietary Russian software on my systems is just not acceptable. And he said, Code Industry Makes Master PDF, and he gives their link. Koopa says it is in Atlanta. I want to verify that as I followed a couple of other companies to ground before buying from them, and ground turned out to be, per se, Google Street View, a storefront offering mailboxes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, be nice to have a reliable and safe PDF creation tool, an easy database that runs locally, and know the base modules of Libre and OpenOffice and the uh, Kexi KDE database aren't easy, and in my experience, crash. Miss uh, DBase2, Miss Access, Miss uh, MSFT Works database that was really pretty good. Works 9 will run in Wine, but 
is a PIA unlike Quicken 2004, which is smooth. Wow. Yeah. So PIA is pain in the backside. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, George sounds so, like you've been through the, the ringer there. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So George and I had exchanged a couple of emails on the PDF tool uh, and trying to determine which of the PDF tools have, you know, uh, com uh, capabilities similar to the Adobe product and wow. that are not based in a country known to provide exploits and malware. Um, so I took a look at the COPA um, or COPA, whatever it is, um, site. And I looked at their website. It says that they are based in Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia in the U.S., not Georgia in uh, the, the <laughs> you know, um, Russia. Um, and I also found a link on LinkedIn to their their uh, company, and it confirms that they're based in in Atlanta, and that that their employees are based in Atlanta. So. Uh, it It is not a free-of-charge program, but it does give you the capabilities that you're looking for, and it looks uh, like a legitimate uh, alternative to uh, Adobe's PDF creation tools with a lot, of, um, a lot of features built in. Yeah, Quicken 2004, running in Wine, if that works, great. I know that, you know, this whole finances for business thing is a bit of a, struggle for any program and i guess the folks at quicken have just done a good such a good job of it that although you know open source alternatives try to uh, provide the same functionality quicken still outpaces them even the 2004 version of their software so 14 years old <laughs> yeah exactly old. running it in wine is is an alternative and wine uh for new users of linux is a way that you can run some Older Windows programs, and sometimes not so often uh, newer Windows programs, under Linux. And, uh, you know, that that's certainly a way to do it. Another way is to look at flat packs or snap packages, snap that sort packages. of thing. Yeah, if someone has packaged things up, that's, that's a more friendly way of doing it that doesn't require you to install a, yet another program, that being Wine, to make it run. Um, so... Um, I haven't looked to see if Quicken's in there. I doubt it, but uh, you know what? Let me just take a minute and go to snapcraft.io slash store, and let's see if Quicken is in the list. Last time I looked, it was not, and it's still not there. So if you uh, know how to snap up packages like this, uh, Quicken might be one that you could uh, provide for people's use. Anyway, there you go. Yeah. All right. Thanks, George, uh, for all those details. And thanks, everyone, who participated in this month's listener feedback. This was great. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for all the emails. And, you know, Larry, that kind of is the last one right now. Yeah, it is for now, and I'm sure there are more coming in. It seems that uh, every time we release an episode – People want to comment on it, and that's great. That allows us to have one full episode a month filled with emails and voicemails like this. 
uh, answering your questions, providing marginal advice on how to use Linux. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, yeah, keep up the, uh, the feedback. We appreciate it. And our listeners appreciate it as well. So we're happy to do it. Okay. Our next episode. Yeah. Our next episode, Bill is run your business on Linux part three. Yeah, we are continuing our series on running your business on Linux, and we'll continue to do that. I think after this one, we'll probably switch over, kind of alternate between running your business and some other episodes. And I was thinking, like your feedback on this, Bill, that it's been a while since we did a show on the basics, the basics of Linux, especially for new listeners, new users to Linux. Let's just kind of go back to basics. Things have yeah, changed things a little have bit. Yeah, things have changed a little bit. Yeah. yeah. That, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, and we so, can do a multi-part series on that. All right. Sounds like that might be a plan. So until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. For now, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Links podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.